This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And I am absolutely delighted to say we've got a third guest for today's episode, introducing a Manchester City writer and supporter, now podcaster with us, Alex Brotherton. Hello, Alex. How are you doing? Hello, guys. Um, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on the show. I know it's been in, a, in the works for a little bit, but yeah, it's nice to come on after a win. Um, pretty resounding win at that, but yeah, it's a... Uh, Pretty huge few weeks coming up for City, so um, looking forward to talking about it and dissecting what's happened. It is indeed. It's like we've had you on a Bosman ruling. We've had the agreement in place, but just not been able to get it across the line. But yeah, it is fantastic to finally have you with us, Alex. And you mentioned there that the victory and, you know, good time to come on after that. But you've picked a belting day because you also cover La Liga, right? And you, and you sort of, you write in work. And I believe City have a, a pretty big game against a, a pretty well-known La Liga club on the horizon. They do indeed. Um, and yeah, I do cover a little bit of La Liga here and there. And uh, yeah, Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-finals, repeat of that 2015-16 oh, yeah. matchup. Scores to settle there after that. Well, let's not talk about that. It was absolutely horrendous, wasn't it? But yeah, it, this should be a much better two-legged affair. And um, I'm really excited for it. Um, I think, yeah, okay, the, the, the Atletico tie 
I found it quite fascinating just the contrasting styles, mm. but I think with this matchup it is a bit more similar in terms of how the teams play. In terms of like you know they're both going to attack. We're not you're not going to have one team sitting back and soaking up all the pressure mm. that kind of thing. But I think it's huge players, huge sort of big game uh, stars, um, two excellent managers, uh, slightly slightly different styles. But yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be really interesting. Um, not quite nervous, but I'm, I'm. I think on Tuesday when I wake up yeah. and then maybe uh, finish work and head down to the ground, I'll probably um, probably start bricking it a bit then. But yeah, <laughs> I'm looking yeah, forward it's to getting it. there, isn't it? After that weekend when you sort of put it to one side and you, you start building up for Tuesday. But um, Adam, how are you doing, mate? It's it's two one in <clears> favour of England over the US today, which could uh, very well be the same score when the two countries meet in Qatar later at the World Cup later in the year. So yeah, how how are you? I'm all right. Yeah, hopefully it, it doesn't uh, doesn't shake up like that. But I think, you know, when we had the main road ramble guys on, it was three Americans versus one. Yeah. So we're just starting yeah. to to tip the scales back in your favor. But I just want to say ahead of time before we dive into all this stuff, forgive me if I'm looking over my shoulder a lot because I'm, I'm half expecting Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Joel Matip to come <laughs> smashing through here and give me a shove in the back. So <laughs> Unhinged, unhinged. Obviously, they're referencing the Merseyside derby that took place today. Liverpool getting the win there. And I suppose that leaves us quite nicely on to the weekend's football. Uh, but before we do, if you are new here, please make sure you hit follow and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are listening along on. If you could leave us a rating and review, that would be superb as well. Might even get Adam to start sending out personalized video messages as a, as a way of thank you. Is that something you'd be up for Adam? That's what they pay me the big bucks for. So that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Um, yeah. Like I said, let, let's kick off with the weekend football then, because obviously we'll go reverse order. Liverpool 2, Everton 0 in the Merseyside derby. That cut the gap at the top of the table back to one point, having been stretched out by Manchester City with that 5-1 win over Watford. Some astonishing football at times from the Blues, a a Rodri Thunderbolt sandwiched between four Gabriel Jesus goals. Then let's get on to it. Adam, um, as always, simple question to start off with. What were your main takeaways from the match? I think it was just good to kind of see City at their kind of free-flowing best again. It's been what feels like months now. I know it's only been a week, but mentally it's been months of like this kind of stodgy football with the, yeah. there being so much on the line in these games, whether it's you know FA Cup semifinal, the uh, Champions League quarterfinals, or the big Premier League game against Liverpool. I mean, that, that game was scintillating, but the, the games have been so tense that it's almost been impossible to enjoy them. And that was mm. the first time in a while where we're seeing, you know, you know, the, the dominant possession and the free flowing football. And it just it felt good again to watch mm. City play mm. football. And I think that was probably my my big takeaway from the weekend. I mentioned to my dad who who for longtime listeners will know gets plenty of references, but um obviously go to the game with him, season ticket with him. And when we were walking out the ground, I said it was weird because it it, it felt like the only time in the next few months, hopefully, City have many a big game to come and it will be taken down to the wire but it felt like the only time where you could be inside the stadium where you could be watching from wherever and it isn't going to feel that sort of tension um as is the case for all game uh, games at this part of the season Alex isn't it that you need to win no matter what but given how tight it was at the table and the goal difference and stuff like that I thought City maybe needed a, a little bit of a statement victory just to you know 
okay, we have had that stodgy period as Adam references, but you know, this football club can still play football. Um, five, it seems strange to say really because five goals is is never to be shrugged at, but. Do you think there was maybe a little bit of regret that City didn't go for more? Watford, obviously, relegation doomed. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident saying they're no longer relegation threatened. They are almost there. Um, so do you think City could have possibly pushed for a few more goals or is five as good as it was going to get? I mean, I think, yeah, I guess in an ideal world, uh, if, there's a, if there's a team that City are ever going to score tons of goals against, it's Watford, it was it? It's... Um, mm. Is it 58 goals or something like that in the last... Something daft like that. That yeah. mad win run we've had against Watford. I think it's 15 games, nearly 60 First goals. First team to ever like do it in the Premier League, which is Indeed, pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. Don't, you'll never sing that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, in an ideal world, yes. But I think with the situation, you know, with the games coming thick and fast, obviously by the time it was 5-1, um, it was pretty clear City were going to win. So obviously Guardiola takes off Kevin De Bruyne, um, as he said, he's, he's he has been playing through a bit of pain recently, and obviously he didn't uh, play in that FA Cup semi final for fear of the sort of mm. the stitches um, coming out of his legs. So I think it was probably the smart move by Pep to take him off, and I think maybe there was a bit of you know City taking their foot off the pedal a little bit in terms of we don't need to go full throttle now, let's conserve a bit of energy. But it did also coincide with De Bruyne going off, um, and it's 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 impossible to sort of ignore the fact that he has been the driving force the last sort of maybe two months or so behind yeah. every sort of good City performance or whenever they've uh, scored or, or anything like that. So I think, um, yeah, in an di- ideal world, we would have closed that goal difference gap down even further. But I don't know, four, uh, plus four added, uh, sort of, well, four taken off the difference, I guess. And um, conserving the bit of energy, I think is probably wiser than, you know, putting the foot down further and maybe risking a bit more, in- a few more injuries, getting a bit more tired, but just to, score a few more goals. I think it was probably the right thing to rest up a little bit, take off De Bruyne, um, take off Rodri as well and just, you know, conserve a little bit of energy for the, for the well, five more games now, isn't it? Uh, really important mm. games. Looking at Liverpool, looks like City are just going to have to win all of them uh, to yeah, make sure. Yeah. So I think it's probably the wise thing just to take it a bit easy in that last half an hour. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, let's speak about some of the goals then because I think it was you, Adam, at half-time tweeted... <laughs> get this game won in the second half, early in the second half, and take Rodri and De Bruyne off. And, well, that's exactly how it panned out. And it's crazy, isn't it? We've spoken on this podcast before about the lack of substitutions Guardiola tends to make or, you know, doesn't make. It felt like yesterday was one of those games where if possibly he would have rotated the entire eleven. But um, one of the people who who didn't get taken off, of course, was, was Gabriel Jesus. And he had four goals, four really good goals. But for me, I think the best one probably was that Rodri goal. And it is one of those goals you look at. And I think we, we've all played football. We've probably all tried that goal and tried to get that sort of dipping dip shot as it comes down and over the keeper's head. So it usually ends up smashing the car window or, or something else or flying out the cage or wherever it may be. But that was as good as a hit you'll ever see, wasn't it, from Rodri? Yeah, and there's somewhere, I think it was Goal that posted on Twitter, there's an incredible photo of, of the ball just right over Ben Foster's uh, fingertips. And yeah. it's, a, it's an incredible, like, hang it in the Louvre type type photo yeah, because, yeah. you know, you've got Kevin De Bruyne down on the ground, which caused this weird emotional roller coaster of like, <laughs> oh my God, is he okay? And then, oh yeah. my God, what a goal. And it was, yeah, I mean, Rodri has about one or two of those in him a season. We, we mm. obviously saw the one earlier in the season i think it was everton at home wasn't yeah, it correct where he just lashed it into the corner um 
but yeah, he, he's a guy that goes for a few of those a game and they, mm. they mostly tend to, to, to end up in the, the third tier of the South stand, but he just got under it and to wait the way that he chested it down perfectly weighted chested pass to himself. Oh, it was, it was beautiful. It was a chef's kiss kind of goal. It was certainly, and um, I'm a man in my mid-20s, so my days of knocking about in replicates with uh, players' names on the back are well and truly gone, but I think if I was 10 years younger so, I would definitely be kicking about with Rodri on the back of my shirt because as far as midfielders go, it's that tucked-in shirt, isn't it? The sleeves, and it just seems to get more tanned and tanned every single time he comes out on the pitch. <laughs> he's, a, he's a really nice footballer to watch, and, and yeah, it was a superb goal. Um, obviously, that was one standout moment from the game, Alex, the the others being pretty much all coming from Gabriel Jesus. He scored 7% of his total Premier League goals for City during that Watford game alone and became the first City player since Sergio Aguero in 2015 to be involved in five goals during a match. Phenomenal performance from Gabriel Jesus and it's crazy that it came just one day after reports emerged that he's actually going to be leaving City or so we're led to believe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously these the reports that. Um, well, I mean, there's been talk for a few months, I guess, that a, a few different European clubs are interested. But these seem to be fairly reliable reports that Arsenal um, are interested in and have, have in fact been talking to his representatives. So maybe this was a sort of a plea, you know, uh, please don't 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 make me go to Arsenal, Pep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of. But yeah, um, obviously, yeah, it's in- incredible performance, but. Um, it, it it does seem this. It, if we're being honest, he's not. Um, this is probably the sort of the outlier, I guess, to the rule with Jesus. Like he, he's. I mm. think he's a, he's a great attacker. He's so versatile. And as Guardiola was was really keen to stress after the game, like the, there's few sort of characters in the dressing room as good as him and as, as unselfish as as Jesus. But he isn't usually that clinical. And I think we have seen over the last five years that. He perhaps can't be relied upon um, to the extent that I mean, it's, it's obviously unfair to compare him to someone like Sergio Aguero, but like you know, he's he's never really going to be yeah. that kind of striker or number nine or whatever you want to call uh, call it that that is going to reliably score twenty plus goals a season. Um, and it, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's sort of a mental thing or maybe he's just. He, I don't know, doesn't just quite have the capacity to to be that clinical. But yeah, it was a great performance. But um, all the more sort of int- interesting that it came sort of about 24 hours after the the news mm. is going to go. But it'd be interesting to see what does happen because he is a really good player for Manchester City, but then he doesn't probably play as much as he'd like to. So, um, so it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Jesus resurrecting himself a week after Easter. You could you could couldn't make it up, could you? Um, but yeah, Adam, it, it was crazy, wasn't it? Because because I don't know. How much our listenership agree to this, but in this parish, we are very much followers of XG models and, and XG philosophy on, on Twitter posted. I think it was Friday night that the, when the reports emerged that Jesus um, had, had mustered up something like 70 XG in his Premier League games, but only scored 50 or so goals. And it sort of it really highlighted it, didn't it? That he, like Alex says, he doesn't have that clinical edge at times. But then yesterday, he had an XG of two. And then scores four, so it's it's really strange. It, it it definitely was a little bit of an outlier in terms of his Premier League performances. But what did you make of those reports then, Adam? Because for me, on Friday evening when they came out, I was disappointed because I've always rated him really highly. 
hadn't necessarily believed he'd got the credit he properly deserved. But I also recognised that potentially it is time for him to move on. And then fast forward until Saturday afternoon, he drops a 10 out of 10 performance and really does demonstrate his true worth. He did. And and you guys are both spot on that it was a bit of an outlier. Um, And it's funny with these reports because... A bit of what I read in the last 48, 72 hours was that he wanted to go somewhere else to prove himself as a number nine. Uh, whereas, you know, earlier in the season, I think he himself had said, mm, I see mm. myself as a winger. Um, whether or not, you know, his his position in the Brazil setup right now is, is influencing that. I think he missed out, you know, on the last round of call-ups for the World Cup qualifiers. And Obviously, in a World Cup year, we're probably going to see a lot of players like Jesus who were maybe on the fringe of, of big clubs, maybe taking a step, I won't say down, um, but looking for new adventures to get themselves back into the picture for their national teams. Yeah, um, I've always said on this podcast that he has abilities that I think are irreplaceable in this team. Most most uh, importantly is his pressing ability, his energy. There's a reason that Pep calls on him in big games like mm-hmm. the Liverpool game a few weeks ago um, and, and games like that because he's really, really important in these games that are high intensity with a lot on the line because his energy is is relentless. He's almost like the the winger version of Bernardo Silva, you know? Mm. Um, so I think it would be a shame to see him go, but it's completely understandable if he would want to to go somewhere else and and you know play thirty odd games a season because right now he's not doing that at City. Um, but I think he is is a really valuable member of the squad. But obviously, he's probably wants to be more than a squad player elsewhere. Certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think, isn't it, really? Because when when the news came out, I had a look back and, and was looking at his stats and his time in a City shirt. And it's five and a half years if it, if it is going to be the summer that he leaves. It had been five and a half years he'd have been at City. And although it seems like there's perhaps a little bit of underwhelming nature around Gabriel Jesus at times, when you look at some of his contributions, you know, He's got a lot of goals for City, perhaps could have had some more. But the type of goals he scored, Alex, have been, you know, like uh, history book sort of stuff, isn't it? You think about that one away to Southampton in the Centurion season, even fast forward to this campaign, he scored against Chelsea and massive three points at Stamford Bridge. And he really is, and again, like the Liverpool game, a a fantastic finish against probably one of the best defences in the world. He really is a a little bit of an enigma, isn't he? And where do you think his his sort of... um, his status among City's last sort of 10 years or so would rank if he was to leave at the end of the season? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He, 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 I wouldn't say he has a knack for popping up with big goals, but he, he has quite a few in his sort of in yeah. his collection. But I guess I, I, I sort of wrote about this today, actually, and it's I, I do hope that if he does leave this summer or whether it's next summer or who knows, maybe he stays. I don't know. The whole situation can change. Mm. But if he does leave soon, then uh, I do hope that City fans kind of don't remember him or sort of base his legacy on like comparing him to someone like Aguero. Yeah. Because obviously when he arrived, he set the, the standards unbelievably high because he sort of kept Aguero out of the team for the first few months till he, I think it was a few weeks and then he got an injury, didn't he? When he mm-hmm. just after he'd arrived. So obviously in his first half season at City, I think he scored 10, uh, seven goals in 10 appearances, which is obviously great for a 19 year old in a brand new league and brand new country. 
Um, and then over the years, he's not been so consistent. So, But I kind of hope that City fans don't think, oh yeah, he was the guy that was meant to be Aguero's long-term replacement and never lived up to it. Because I think that would be just extremely unfair, really. Um, obviously, Agreed. no one, few players are ever going to match what Aguero did. Um, I think it is fair that perhaps he hasn't lived up to perhaps what City would have hoped. Mm. But mm. I, I do hope that he sort of remembered for... Basically, yeah, did the last few years under Pep. So he's what basically what Adam said. So the the relentless pressing, his energy, his sort of now what we're hearing more recently about what kind of character he is and how good he is for the dressing room, that kind of thing, and just the fact that he just seems a really great person and never really moans yeah. when he's out of the team. He's definitely not one of those one of those players that's always sort of you know sending out uh, bad signals when they're not perhaps playing as much as they want. So I, I hope he is remembered. Um, Obviously, the important goals like he's like those ones you mentioned before, but also just a great sort of uh, a great servant, I guess. I think he'll mm. go down as a rather than one of the all time greats of City, um, he'll go down as sort of a really important um contributor in what's been the most successful period in the club's history. Yeah, he's 25 years old, so there's there's plenty of time ahead of him. And I guess when when he arrived at City, what would it have been in Pep's first season? So going back to 2017, I was of the opinion that I didn't think we'd see Gabriel Jesus when when the time came for him to leave City, that it'd be on City's accord. I was very much of the opinion that I thought, you know, Brazil's next biggest talent, number nine for Brazil, you know, a, a massive a massive figure in that country and, and one who come, came over to, to Europe really early. I guess I just thought that he'd, he'd probably move on to one of the big two Spanish clubs in Barcelona or Real Madrid or something like that. So it is... Is sort of interesting to see the the way the two trajectories have gone, and and Jesus maybe leaving with City going, okay, then off you go. You know, you've been a good servant, and and it is what it is. Adam, same question: Where would you rank him then amongst the sort of the last ten years of City's transfers and and sort of just plays in general? I think Alex kind of spelled it all out. I mean, he's been a fantastic servant to the club, and and like Alex said, the the fact that he spends a lot of time out of the team. And this is pretty normal for City players as well, that it doesn't seem to matter what form they're in. They could just randomly get hit mm-hmm. with a spell out of the team. We've seen it with Riyad Mahrez at times. Um, obviously, we don't see what goes on in, in training. I can't imagine you know somebody like Gabriel Jesus is poor in training. He, he seems to have a fantastic attitude. But I think that he he will have to be remembered fondly, not only for his character and his attitude and his energy and just seems like a fantastic human being in general. Mm. But like you guys mentioned, the the big goals and, and big performances, you know, the the goal at the the Bernabeu in, in 2019-20 season, um, which for a lot of people was kind of a watershed moment in the Champions League. Um, and, you know, he played well in the, I think he had two goals in the second leg as well. He, he, he tore Rafael Varane to bits in yeah, that game. Yeah. Um, so he's definitely going to be somebody that's going to be remembered fondly no matter how he leaves the club, whether it's you know on a free at the end of his contract or, or somebody comes in for 30, 40 million and, and swoops him up with like a, an Inter Milan or a Juventus. He's, it's, it'd be hard for anybody to not remember him fondly. Certainly, definitely, and and echo that. And I guess we'll move on and chat about with a sort of a wider lens about the upcoming transfer window, starting primarily from an outgoings perspective. I think it's fair to say there are likely to be departures this summer, especially in in those attacking positions with Julian Alvarez and, and a potential move for Erling Haaland as well. 
isn't necessarily going to be the case that Jesus, if he does go, is the only one who who departs um, from that attacking lineup. I'll give you three names then, Alex, and I want you to rank them in order of preference, who you would prefer to see leave the club and who you'd prefer to see stay. So starting with Gabriel Jesus, who we've, we've just done a lot on, then Raheem Sterling and Mares. Where would you sort of put those three in terms of most important and, and sort of most disposable? Uh, I mean, I really want to cop out of this, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's in terms of most important. I think, uh, I think it's yeah, Raheem Sterling. Just I love Raheem Sterling, so yeah. <laughs> I don't think I could yeah, say yeah. Um, to put it. Yeah, to simply put, I don't think you could really say that he should be the one to go. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I think out of if I was to say num- number one is like who should who should go out of the three. Um, it'd have to be Jesus or, or Mares, And it's a tricky one because obviously if Mares wants to stay, but Jesus is keen on, on going, then you'd say Jesus. But say if they all wanted to stay. Um, I, I, I feel like obviously Jesus has got time, has got age on his side. He's only mm-hmm. 25. Mares is 31 now, is he? Or is he 30? Yeah, he's getting there. Um, yeah. Obviously, Jesus is a lot more sort of adaptable, flexible in his position, whereas Mares is pretty much right wing. We've seen him on, on the rare occasion as kind of like a false nine, but it never really seems to work mm-hmm. out too well. So I think in, in that sense as well, you'd probably have to say Mares, which seems a bit weird because like he's been our top sort of goal yeah. scorer this season in all competitions. But um I'd feel like, yeah, obviously with if if, if Erling Holland and and the likes of Julian Alvarez and uh God knows what other changes happen. Um if Mares was to leave, I don't think City would have any trouble sort of replacing his contributions. But I think we would have trouble replacing his incredible first touch because there's, there's <laughs> few things on a football pitch more beautiful than seeing Mares just pluck any ball out of the sky, no, no matter how difficult a pass it is to receive. So, reluctantly, Mares. Won't somebody think of the first touch compilations before the <laughs> before we head into the transfer window? Um, yeah, typical English journalist sticking up for Raheem Sterling and, and not being able to criticise him. Adam, are you going to provide a little bit of a foreign influence and you're going to say Sterling needs to go, or do you agree with Alex there that it is either it's going to be Jesus or Mares is the ones, or if not both, who may leave in the summer? I uh, I had this question posed to me earlier uh, in the year by you, Amos. Um, And I'm going to stick with my answer that I think Gabriel Jesus is actually the least replaceable player on that list. Uh, If you had asked me this two years ago, I would have found it impossible to say that Raheem Sterling should be at any other club than Manchester City. Um, But I think not only has his form kind of dipped, but it feels like Pep is, I won't say losing faith in him because he still plays him in, in big games, but when's the last like true big game where the entire mm. squad is fit that Pep has gone with Raheem Sterling? Um, because it seems to me like the, the kind of go-to front three is is going to be you know Phil Foden, Riyad Mahrez, and then lately we've seen all of the midfielders playing and, and Bernardo Silva, Ilkay Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne are kind of shuffling through that false nine in, in the biggest mm-hmm. of games. Um, I just have this soft spot for Gabriel Jesus and, and his energy and his attitude. And, and I think he's totally irreplaceable. Um, but I would have to say that that number one on that list would be Riyad Mahrez for me with the age. And obviously there's the worry of selling your leading scorer. 
Um, but if he's making room for the likes of, of Erling Holland coming in, then you, you'd have to think that there's going to be goals replacing goals. Yeah. Um, so I think my order would be Mare, or it would be Mares Sterling Jesus would be my order of of sell to keep. I think you make both of you make great points with Mares in the sense that he is top goal scorer, but but like you say, with with a potential Erling Haaland uh, delivery coming through the door, hopefully at the end of the season, it's you you, you don't see a world where Erling Haaland doesn't score goals, and if his performances aren't great, then then you can still imagine he'll score the goals. It's a strange one with Mares because he he has a contract until the end of next season, and after that, I think it, it, I think we'd all be in agreement. It's difficult to see him still being at the club. Obviously, like Alex says, he's he's getting older. He's he's now into his thirties, and and granted, the talent hasn't necessarily dipped yet. At one point, it is going to start to go down downhill a little bit. Paris Saint Germain makes a lot of sense, I think, for Riyad Mahrez. Um, he fits their profile a lot from a footballing point of view, from a lifestyle point of view. Obviously, Ligue 1 isn't necessarily the most fast-paced division or the fast-paced football in the world, so you could see him really tearing that up. But Alex, I'm not sure if this comes as a free transfer at the end of next season and City get another year out of him, which sort of then, like like you say, for you it's Raheem Sterling who stays. For Adam, it's Gabriel Jesus who stays. And you can just sort of start to see that the crazy situation that's going to be unfolding in the in the sort of the headquarters, isn't it? And I, I guess Mares would make sense to go this year, but like I said, with a contract until the summer of 2023, does he go on a free? It's um I don't, are we going to see a massive overhaul this summer? That's that's what I'm thinking now. True, it's, true. It's really difficult to, as you say, it's difficult to see. Um, I, I, I think it would just. I think the whole situation. So not just Mares, but maybe even Sterling as well. Um, I think with with Mares, he probably knows himself that he's not, given that his age now uh, and what his sort of his situation, he's not. He can't be expecting just to be a, a sure starter for City. So, but I think mm. with with Raheem, Raheem Sterling, I think. Um, he might have reservations about a new contract if you know if it's going to continue like this for next season, where he's sort of in and out of the team, not building up momentum, uh, dips in form, that kind of thing. But maybe I think it'll just be one of those, like we saw with Ferran Torres. Like if if you want to go, or if if a suitable offer comes in, regardless of whether the player goes or not, City will consider it. So I think if Paris Saint Germain or, or someone like that came in for Mares and it and City were kind of thinking, well, yeah, we've got Julian Alvarez, he's a right winger or can play on the right yeah. wing. Um, obviously, you've got people like Cole Palmer to consider who will offer a bit more depth. Um, not ne- right wing isn't necessarily his preferred position. I don't think he's more of a yeah. plays places an eight uh, quite a bit for the for the EDS. But um, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know what the market value would be for Mares, though. To be honest, yeah, if, it might be one of those where they're not really. They might just think, well, you know what, we might as well just get another year out of him and then let him walk, rather than be without this um, really sort of still high quality player um, and only get like twenty five million or something like that for him. So um, yeah, I guess the short answer is I have no idea, but uh, <laughs> uh, it'll be it'll, be, it'll certainly be interesting. But it could maybe this is the summer where we see a lot more upheaval. Where obviously last summer there was all the the, the stories and the news about I think it was four players were unsettled yeah, and yeah. kind of wanted to go. In the end, um, nothing really happened. But um, maybe this is the summer where there's a big upheaval and and yeah, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see how that pans out. 
Yeah, Sam Lee, wasn't it, who after literally the day after the Champions League final broke the story that a number of City players wanted out. But but like you say, it never transpired and we got to the beginning of the campaign and it was pretty much as you were. Um, it does feel like, doesn't it, Adam, we've had this discussion elsewhere uh, behind the scenes, but it does feel as if the, this summer is gearing up to be a little bit of a, a non-City one, I think I'm confident in saying, because you usually associate City with one or two transfers. They're quite shrewd in the market. I know it seems daft to say when you look at some of the money that's been spent, but Jack Grealish was probably the outlier in the sense that it was such a big transfer fee. It's a lot of 30 to £60 million signings and, and really building a squad over a period of time. But it does feel like City could maybe get left behind a little bit if they don't really act fast in this window. Um, where do you see that then, obviously we've, we've spoke about the attacking positions, but maybe elsewhere in the squad, where do you see there being the, re- the, the biggest shuffle in the summer window? I think it's an interesting one because I think the potential incoming of two strikers, you know, obviously uh, Julian Alvarez can play anywhere in the front three, but it there could be a lot of domino effects. Um, I still think that Phil Foden's long-term role in the team is going to be in midfield. I think that's where he's his most devastating. Yeah, um, We've seen that with England. Um, and the few times that Foden has played in midfield, I, I think it was, was it Peterborough in the FA Cup where he was the ball over the top to, to Jack yeah, Grealish. I yeah. think that right there was almost a, a look into the future um, from, from Phil Foden. But I think midfield is really, really interesting because Gundogan is going to be 32, I believe, by the summer. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is not getting any younger. Fernandinho looks to be on his way out. And I think there's going to be a huge overhaul in midfield, whether it's this season or next. You know, City have been linked to a few different names. Uh, there's Enzo Fernandez from from River Plate, uh, mm-hmm. Matias Nunez from, from Sporting. Um and I think we've seen in the last few weeks that the squad is thin. It's it's well put together. Um, the depth in, in quality is there, but the depth in numbers is not there. And with, with Fernandinho going and, and Gundogan, I won't say he's on the decline, but he could be at any moment. Um, there's been some rumblings of him having some pretty serious back issues that he's been mm. playing through. Um so I think midfield is the, is the really really interesting part of of the pitch. Um, I think in defense, you know, obviously there's been a fullback conundrum for years that seems to work itself out in the middle of the season somehow. Mm. Uh, we're going to get on to Real Madrid a little bit later, and we kind of have a, a a fullback conundrum in that game itself. But I, I think the most interesting part of of this summer is going to be maybe the midfield, even though all of the talk is about the strikers that may be coming in. All roads with Pep Guardiola lead to midfield, really, don't they? And I'm convinced City could spend, I don't know, a billion pound in one transfer window, bring in 17 new players and not one of them would be a fullback and and they'd all somehow be able to play as a number eight. Um, Alex, where where do you sort of see the the shuffling about happening this summer? Because I think uh, most sane thinking football supporters and City supporters would be looking at that fullback fullback position. Of course, Pep Guardiola and and the powers that be are not sane thinking football people and they would probably much rather see, uh, I don't know, a central attacking midfielder play 20 games at left back. And, and, you know, we've we've seen that movie all too many times before. But but do you think now is the time City go into the market for it? for a left-sided fullback? Um, I mean, I, I did think about this a few months ago, actually, and I kind of thought 
maybe to sort of flip your question on its head, like maybe it's the Ooh. right back spot that, <laughs> that yeah. needs it instead. I, yeah, because yeah, yeah, because obviously it de- ob- this all depends on how Zinchenko's feeling, and and I doubt that he's that happy with the amount of minutes he's got this season. Because at the end mm. of the day, he is an international footballer, um, standout player for Ukraine, um, and he can't be that happy with. Um, I can't. I can't remember exactly how many appearances he's made, but it's not. It's not many. I think it's sort of single digits in the Premier League this yeah. season. So obviously, he, on the the depth at left back is technically more is greater than right backs. So I guess Cancelo now. To be honest, like whenever he in recent weeks when he's deputised for Walker on the right, he seems to have dropped a slightly dodgy performance and yeah, not as good as when he's on the left. Um, so obviously you got him at left back, Zinchenko backing him up, who uh, was really good against Watford. I thought a um, few sort of dodgy cameos recently, but maybe you can put that down to kind of rustiness. Not many minutes. Whereas on the right, it's Walker, but there is quite a significant drop off when you don't have Walker because Cantelo mm-hmm. is obviously that's his natural position, but he doesn't quite have the same qualities as Walker. Um, so maybe it's right back um, that, that they need to. If Zinchenko's happy to stay, and and I think City, if he was. Uh, and they didn't get any offers. I think City would love Zinchenko to stay because he's he's like a character like like Ake, like Jesus, yeah, who yeah. great character isn't going to moan about lack of minutes. Will always give their all when they get a chance. And obviously, Cancelo is well for for my money, he's been the best left back in in the Premier League this season. I'm sure some Liverpool fans will disagree, but um, yeah. So maybe it's right back uh, to sort of not answer your question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we need because no, it's, it's sort of Walker yeah. or, or nothing really. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think yesterday or, or whenever the Watford game was now, it sort of Cancelo became City's most used Premier League player. I think he overtook Edison in terms of the minutes he's played, which is phenomenal because you think about the rotation that often happens with a Pep Guardiola team and, and to have a stalwart like that is pretty incredible. But that, that's a hymn sheet you've sung from, isn't it, before, Adam, The that Cancelo is essentially now a, a left-back and if City are going to do business in the market, in the full-back positions, it's going to be on the right side instead. Yeah, and I actually think Cancelo's best role in the team is at left back. You know, the ability to, especially with Phil Foden out on the left wing, and and Phil Foden will kind of you know dig his heels in on the touchline, and and to have Cancelo kind of sitting in that little inside pocket where he can pick up the ball, he can cut in on his right or play you know outside of the foot curling yeah. crosses to the back post uh, casually. Um, that that's been his best role, and um, you know Kyle Walker. Is not slowing down in, in the physical sense or the mental sense, um, but you know he's another guy that's on the other side of thirty, and I think Alex is spot on that that maybe in in the next year or two that the place to be looking at a long term replacement is on the right, and as long as Pep is here and and kind of sticking with a similar system that Cancelo's best role is on the left, and and he's kind of made that role his own. Indeed, I'd actually love um, love City to maybe have a look at the Championship, which I think is a, a, a move Liverpool have, have done quite a few times. You think of Andy Robertson and other players who have come in, but but there's some fantastic right backs knocking about in the Championship. I think for like the Jed Spence, he scored some worldies, and and it, it does seem like a transfer Liverpool might make if City don't. So there's there's definitely a talent pool out there. But we'll we'll leave our our Mystic Meg transfer predictions alone for a little bit, I no doubt. We will be back here plenty of times before the summer window he probably even opens, let alone finishes, given our our opinions on the transfers. But we'll speak about the here and now and Real Madrid. 
They've been able to enjoy a weekend off from football and it, it looks as if they're going to be on the brink of another La Liga title. They obviously saw off Chelsea in the previous round, but there are suggestions, aren't there, Alex, that this iteration isn't perhaps the strongest Los Blancos outfit there's been. Do you think that's a fair suggestion? You, you've obviously watched them a fair bit this season and do you think it's... Is that where they are at or is it always going to be the case it's Real Madrid, it doesn't matter if they play in the under 12s in the Champions League? <laughs> it's their playground. Um, I think both of those things could actually be true at the same time. Um, yeah. Obviously, they are, I think it's 15 points, I think. They're clear at the top of La Liga, so they've by far and away been the best and most consistent team in Spain this season. There's the obvious caveat that Barcelona started horrendously. Atletico Madrid's title defence sort of fell apart as soon as it began. Um, and then Sevilla have been the closest challengers, but don't really have the depth of squad and numbers to keep up with them. Mm. Um, and they have been good at times, but they've also been quite vulnerable, uh, particularly defensively. They've not, never really had a problem with attack, but there is a massive reliance on Karim Benzema. Um, and I think that the clearest that we've seen that this season was in that um, 4-0 Clasico defeat to Barcelona a couple of months yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think... There was just a bit of a bit of head loss on the part of Carlo Ancelotti. Couldn't couldn't call on uh, Karim Benzema, so he just played. I think Modric as a false nine. The yeah, team was, was all over the place. It? They got absolutely trounced. Um, but yeah, so I think there's a reliance on Karim Benzema, which is obviously it's fine as long as he's fit and firing, which he which he has been most of the season. But in defence, there has been times, and I think we saw this in the second leg against Chelsea, where there's just not now that Sergio Ramos isn't there. Um, there just does seem to be a little bit of a lack of leadership and organisation. Mm-hmm. And obviously they've brought in David Alaba, um, who it looks like might not be available for the game on Tuesday. Um, but he's a great player, obviously great success at Bayern Munich. And he is kind of a leader, but there are, there are times in, so I get in the Chelsea game, there's, there was players sort of stepping out, playing the offside trap when the others weren't letting sort of players run through and not picking them up. Um, So they're all sort of decent defenders, but they do seem to lack a bit of cohesiveness as a unit, I think, particularly if there's a team putting them under sustained pressure like Chelsea were. I don't think they're really cracked up to to sort of handle that kind of sustained pressure. Mm. Whereas I think City are a lot more solid in that sense, as we saw particularly in the second half against Atletico Madrid. Um, City dealt with that really well. Um, So I think... Yeah, I think that it's going to be a challenge to keep the likes of Benzema and Vinicius Jr. quiet. But I think there are definitely goals in this for City, particularly when you consider that Alaba and, uh, and Casemiro, the, the the holding midfielder, might be might be absent for the first leg. So uh, yeah, I think there's definitely joy to be had. Yeah, Chelsea was superb in that second leg at the Bernabeu and, and not many teams, other than City, of course, a couple of seasons ago, go to that stadium and, and get a win in Europe. But the big games keep coming, don't they, Adam? It, it seems like only only days since that breathless Atletico affair and we're back here yet again. Alex has given us his rundown on Carlo Ancelotti's side, but where is your head going into Tuesday's game? I actually feel uh, slightly calm about this one, and, oh, and no. I made That's I made this for a good sign. <laughs> well, it, yeah, I'm I'm rarely calm about a game of football, especially of this magnitude. But I think after Atletico Madrid, um, it's going to be good to be in a normal game of football mm-hmm. for once, mm-hmm. um, because I think you know when when we drew Atletico, it was like okay, the way that they will beat City is by 
taking the football element out of it. Um, yeah. And it almost worked, to be fair. You know, they they battled for, what, 160 minutes, and then they kind of turned on the gas, and City could have conceded a few in that game. I mean, there yeah. was some, some yeah. heroic defending from, from a couple of different players. Um, but like I said on, I think it was last week's episode, that this game will be a bit more of a game of football. Um, I expect City to control most of the possession and and Real Madrid will, you know, look to hit on the break with with Vinicius and and Kareem Benzema like they did in in um <clears throat> at Stamford Bridge and and they played so well there and they I think all three goals came on, you know, counter press and a counter attack. Mm. Um but like I said that in any game of football City will have to feel confident that that they can win the game. Um, and you know, guys like Luka Modric and, and Tony Cruz, that they'll want to be in a game of football. They'll want to have the ball at their feet. And I think that bodes well for city, um, to, to kind of be confident going into this one. Whereas Atletico Madrid was a bit of a wild card. You didn't know exactly what you would get from them. Um, so yeah, I, I feel all right about it. I, I may be, I may be sick to my stomach Tuesday morning, but I think that, you know they'll they'll try to play especially at the Bernabeu. Real Madrid will try uh, try and play a little bit more than they might at the Etihad, and and that will play into City's hands. So I am weirdly and uncomfortably confident. There's a line. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I see where you're coming from because obviously with Atletico, everyone knew what to expect from from the two legs, and it, it played out pretty much as as was expected. But with Ancelotti, obviously, he's, he's gone back there for his second stint. He was the man who brought La Decima to the Bernabeu and is heralded, and he's looking to sort of maybe sort of bring back the best hits a little bit, isn't it, with some of those players? And you mentioned Alex, don't you? Though the the, the El Clasico game, which was a real trouncing for Real Madrid, and he tried to be a little bit different, a little bit quirky with his tactics, but that he's not that guy, and I don't mean that in a detrimental sort of point of view. I mean he's a one-dimensional coach, and he's not the sort of like Klopp or Pep where they're going to rip up the rule book. He has methods, he sticks by them, and more often than not, they, they work, and we're seeing it this year. They're going to win La Liga. They could possibly even progress in the European Cup, although we don't. We, we hope they don't. However, I just want to pick up on something that may be a little bit superstitious, and I don't know how much this makes a difference, if at all. But what do you think about the configuration, Alex, of the tie? Obviously, City play at home first at the Etihad. They then go away to the Bernabeu in the second leg. And uh, I don't know, there are a few stadiums in world football I would handpick to go in a second leg of a Champions League semi-final above the Bernabeu. It, it seems like it's, it is that sort of, like I said, it's that, it's that epitome of Champions League football, isn't it? And we've seen already this season some of the comebacks they've been able to muster up. Does City have to get the job done in the first leg, do you think? Or do they still have a chance when it goes to Madrid? I mean, yeah, City are always going to have a chance. Um, but yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. It's... It is strange with Real Madrid, and and I hate that it it sounds very Liverpool saying like oh you know the special Champions yeah, League night, yeah. but it really does. Real Madrid just have this weird aura where they just do not know when they're beaten in Europe, and and we saw it against Chelsea. Um, obviously, looked like they completely messed that up, and then all of a sudden they're back on top uh, mm. in extra time, and, and that's that, and they just do not stop, and yeah, at the at the Bernabeu it's going to be difficult, particularly if it's still a a sort of a tough, um, fairly even tie uh, after the game at, at home. But on the flip side, I, I kind of feel like this this incarnation now of of Pep City, they do kind of thrive on the pressure. I feel, and mm. 
so I don't whereas if you were saying a few years ago I would have been pretty like yeah I'd rather have the the second leg at home now I don't think it would affect the City players quite as much uh, and obviously it's going to be tough if, it, if the game's fairly even and sort of hostile atmosphere at the Bernabeu and you know screeches and whistles every time City have the ball but um yeah I think I don't think it'll affect the players too much um but yeah, it's just you, you. You do never know with Real Madrid because, well, what you do know that they, they are always going to turn up in Europe. But I think City will, regardless of the fact that they're at home first and then away, uh, and the fact that there's no away goals anymore, I think probably yeah, takes yeah. slightly a bit of the importance out of you know where you play first. Um, I don't think it matters quite as much now. But I think this this City team are pretty well equipped to deal with the pressure. Yeah, obviously going back to 2015-16 when these two last met. At this stage of the competition, first leg nil nil, one nil at the Bernabeu. It was about as flaccid a performance and as flaccid a game you could you could imagine. Um, it will be interesting to see. It definitely will be interesting to see. Obviously, you mentioned the away goal rule and the, the conundrum there and and how that changes it. It it's a new sort of frontier for European football, and we'll wait and see. But we will speak a little bit of tactics and a little bit of personnel before we get out of here, specifically City-related and even more specifically that right-hand side of defence. Now, Adam, no Cancelo, even though we've spoken about the fact that he's essentially a quasi-left-back now, he would have probably played at the right-back position because Kyle Walker has been out through injury. If you're sat there with Pep Guardiola the night before, you, you sit in with you, you probably got a nice pasta or some some nice dishes going on the go. You speak about the game. Who are you turning to and who are you saying, you know what, I'm going to play them in there? Or, or do you do you rip up the system again? Do you do one of those classic Pep things and, and I don't know, a back three, for example? I don't think he rips up the system. I think the back four kind of picks itself. I think it's going to be most likely John Stones on the right. Um and then Laporte Diaz as the center back pairing. And I would think that we'd see Zinchenko in on the left just to yeah. have, you know, a more uh, attack minded fullback in there to, to balance with, with stones on the other side. Um, I don't know that I, that puts a ton of confidence into me, especially with, you know, Vinicius jr. Down on that, that left-hand side for, for Real Madrid. If he's, you know, running at John Stones with a with a head of steam, it could get a bit dicey. I, I'd obviously rather see Kyle Walker in there, um, but I do think that back four picks itself. But look, I especially in the first leg, I think the onus is really going to be on City to to control the ball and, and set the tempo of the game. Um, and so I think they'll, you know, they may try and keep the ball away from that right side and and have the the attacks come predominantly down that left hand side with Zinchenko and, and Phil Foden and whoever is around that side. Um, but I do think the back four kind of picks itself. I, I don't see him kind of ripping up the system and, and going yeah. any sort of back three. Um, you know, we saw in, in last season's run to the final that he went with essentially the same team for seven or eight knockout games in a row. And, and I can't see him doing anything different. Um, we won't, we won't speak about what, what happened in the final, but mm. getting up to that point. Um, it was kind of unlike Pep to see him kind of sticking with the same team over and over in these big knockout games. And I can't see him doing anything different, especially because we have a lot of evidence of how John Stones plays at right back. We've seen Nathan Ake play at left back plenty. So it won't be a completely new thing. You know, Pep will have seen it before and kind of know what weaknesses we have in that system and, and what strengths we have. So uh, like I said, I think it kind of picks itself that back four. 
it's weird to say, but I also think touch wood the days of Pep Guardiola, quote unquote, overthinking in big European knockout games may have gone. Yeah, I know. I am. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick to the the, the two legged knockout games because, like we say, that Champions League final remains unsaid. Um, I guess at the opposite end of of the of the pitch, then Alex, to wrap up the the sort of the personnel team selection talk. What front three would you most like to see to cause Real Madrid problems? You've obviously mentioned they do have defensive fragilities. They conceded surprisingly quite a few goals against Chelsea in the in the last round, and we've seen in the Premier League recently how how Chelsea have struggled, um, especially going forward to sort of to, to create a lot of opportunities, and, and the, the they've had problems with their striker themselves in in uh, Romelu Lukaku, haven't they? So so what do you sort of see how 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 does City set up and who goes into that front three to really get at Real Madrid in that first leg yeah it's it's such a difficult one Uh, but just to go on the defence I do hope that that John Stones um, plays but I'm I'm not so confident that he actually will Um, okay obviously with Pep saying that um, I think he said after the game that it would be difficult uh, for John Stones Um, obviously he wasn't in the squad at all so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he is but Mm. Yeah, this 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 whole conundrum could get even worse if it is. Then. I don't know. It could be Diaz, maybe. Um, okay, maybe I'd Ruben Diaz at right back. But I think I prefer Diaz at right back than than Fernandinho. But yeah, it didn't. Yeah. When Pep spoke after the Watford game, it didn't seem he didn't seem that confident. Um, mm. Perhaps a bit more confident than Walker coming back. But yeah, we'll we'll see anyway. But um, yeah, for the attack, it's, it's I think Foden is a must. Um, yeah. uh, and if it's it, it will be. It's, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because it's usually a Jesus or a Mares, and Jesus has just scored four goals and assisted another. Um, but Mares is the is the big mm. game sort of you know top scorer, big game player. Um, seems to do particularly well in the Champions League. So I don't know. It just depends because I think um, I think Real Madrid will be quite susceptible to being pressed and, and, and counter pressed. So if you're going to do that, then you'd probably favour Jesus on the right. Um, maybe Foden on the left, and maybe Grealish as false nine, or yeah, maybe or, or Sterling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Sterling. Um, depends because I, I. But then it's yeah. Jesus obviously scored four goals uh, on Saturday, uh, and some of them were from a central area. But he wasn't actually mm. playing as a striker. He was sort of coming in from the right wing. So maybe Guardiola decides to play him as kind of a false nine. He has done it in the past, and that yeah. way you can get Jesus and. And Mares into the same team, and a Foden on the left. Um, but I think Foden is the sure starter. Obviously, like one of the key players, and he had a and he had, had a rest on Saturday, so I think he's a sure starter. I would be surprised actually if if Mares doesn't play. So yeah, I think it will be Foden on the left, Mares on the right, and then Jesus or Sterling in the middle. But you know, with City, like it just it just <laughs> it's so interchangeable, and like everyone moves yeah, around, yeah. and you'll have no you'll have De Bruyne it. pushing up into the channels and and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think. Um, the closest I'm going to get to predict, to trying to work out what what's going on in Pep's head, is that Foden and Mares will both start, which probably doesn't take a genius, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, we'll wait and see. It could be, who knows? It could be all sorts. That that man's head is is no no doubt a, a dangerous place to be at times. I guess we'll wrap up the Real Madrid talk then, just just quickly then, Adam, about the the sort of the emotional element of this game, and it's back to back semi finals for the first time in City's history. Pep Guardiola continues to push this club to new frontiers and new places. He's spoken an awful lot in the past about <clears> the fact that City don't have 
an emotional connection with latter stages of, of Champions Leagues and, and sort of making sure the fans know that, okay, this is this is exceptional, these are new times, but to really establish yourself in Europe, you've got to be there in quite quite often and no team more than Real Madrid has, has done that and and perhaps this is now the the new dawn for City isn't it what, what are you what sort of aside from the football are you proud are you hesitant are you nervous do you think this is where City should be in the future every single season or do you think this is still sort of a, a new a new little, little sort of quirky thing for City to be doing it certainly still feels a bit weird um you know, I still remember the days of not ever getting out of the group and, and mm. you know, seeing clubs like Borussia Dortmund or Roma getting drawn in the same group as us and, and, and shuddering over that. Um, so it still feels a bit weird. But, you know, if you look at some of the, the hurdles that City have jumped over in the past <clears throat> three or four years, you know, uh, beating Real Madrid in, in 2019-20, PSG last season in the semifinal, um, you know, I think... I mentioned after the Atletico Madrid game that 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 second leg in Madrid felt like a real moment for the club to get through that insane atmosphere, um, you know, and and a team that is built for Champions League knockout games, a team that that went to a few finals in a row, um, that has been there and and done this many times, and to get through that kind of chaotic second leg and you know, getting out of the, the melees with no players sent off and, and things like that. I think that felt like a watershed moment for this team and the club in general. Um, so I don't think they'll be, you know, necessarily going into this game thinking, oh, it's it's Real Madrid in the Champions League. I think they'll be looking at, at it as another opportunity to claim another scalp and, and leave another mark on Europe. And, you know, back-to-back finals for this club would be something you could have never told me about 10 years ago. I would have laughed in your face. So, um especially to go into this. I, I don't know what the bookies have it as right now, but you think in in football terms for City to be going into this as as favorites is it's unbelievable and, and doesn't mm. make much sense to me. Yeah, definitely. When you compare, what would it have been? Only about eight years ago, that that first game, the first semi-final against Real Madrid and, and the fact that, like you say, City are probably the favoured pick um, going into it. But we'll we'll leave that behind us then. Just a couple of, of shout-outs before we get out of here. City women were successful 4-0 winners against Leicester City. I was at the Academy Stadium. It was bloody roasting. I'll have to remember to take sun cream next time. Summer's really starting to hit the, the Costa del Mancuna. Yeah. And Alex, I'll Hang let on, you wrap Amos, up. What was the temperature? Um 14 degrees Celsius, which was about 55 <laughs> Fahrenheit. But I had a big coat on. No, you're you're lying, right? <laughs> it was it was warm. It was really warm. I was it was in... quite sunny, yeah. I can vouch yeah. for Amos. It was sunny yeah. today. It's 33 here today. Celsius. That's it. A... Oh my god. Global warming. <laughs> Need to stop it. That's t- honestly, if 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 it was 33 degrees, um, Right now, I would be doing this podcast with nothing other than underpants on. That that was how hot and sweaty, and I'd have about, you'd hear the hum of about seven fans because I just would not be able to cope. That is obscene. Uh, but yeah, I guess Alex, you can wrap it up because it's been a very Spanish-focused podcast and a lovely, lovely moment for a couple of Exity personnel, in particular Manuel Pellegrini with Real Betty, who won the Copa del Rey. Um, over the weekend, uh, I believe first first Copa del Rey win for 17 years, and there's some fantastic scenes there, weren't there? Yeah, Manuel Pellegrini's uh, Real Betis won the Copa del Rey, beating Valencia on penalties. Uh, Claudio Bravo was in goal for 
for Real Betis. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy happy for both of them. And it was um, yeah, as you say, it's, it's kind of a long suffering fan base that haven't won anything for 17 years. Sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> only um, yeah, I think that this is the fourth major title in 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 the history of the club. They won a league title kind of in the 30s and three coppers uh, since then. So yeah, great achievement. Happy for Manuel. His first trophy since the 2016 League Cup, I think, uh, with City. Uh, mm. And obviously, and it's quite nice for Claudio Bravo because obviously he won a few cups with City, but he was always kind of on the outside looking in a bit. Um, and I think in, even in a few of the finals, like the League Cups, when he was around, he kind of got dropped to the final and Edison played or, or whoever. So, mm. yeah, so it's uh, nice for both of them. But uh, but yeah, good old Manuel. If you need a penalty shootout goalkeeper, then uh, Claudio Bravo seems to be the man, doesn't he? It's, it's fantastic. You'd have taken pleasure from this, Adam, actually. But seeing old City managers do well, obviously Pellegrini there, and then Mancini won the Euros in the summer, obviously at England's expense. And I just had a massive smile on my face when I saw saw the pictures of him with the with the Copa del Rey trophy because he was his, his story is phenomenal, and it's just great to see him having fun. It, it was great to see, especially in that tracksuit. He deserves the world yeah, in that tracksuit. The Kappa tracksuit. Lucky yeah. tracksuit. It was lucky tracksuit. There was a <laughs> massive um, massive thing amongst Betis fans before the game about whether Pellegrini was going to wear his lucky tracksuit, which he always does. And there were some some rumours he was going to wear a suit for the big occasion. Oh. But um, but now nah, he stuck with the, the tracky and yeah. Uh, it obviously worked, so probably never going to take it off, is he? <laughs> yeah. No, and look, I have such fond memories of him, you know, coming in and winning City, their second ever title, which still at the time winning titles was mm. was a, still a novel feeling. Um, and, you know, a, a guy like him to, to leave the club the way that he did in a way that many managers may feel disrespected by mm. to have a new manager announced, you know, in the middle of the season and um, – it's not like City were playing bad football at the time. They'd won a title. They'd won some some cups. So, yeah, I have I have nothing but fond fond memories of him, and I was overjoyed to to see the celebrations there. Yeah, well, speaking of old City managers doing wonderful things, Mark Hughes is Bradford City currently. Let me check. <sighs> 16th in the Football League 2. So, uh, yeah, contrasting emotions from ex-City managers. But I guess we'll leave it there and we'll get out of here. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us, Alex. I'm sure it won't be your first rodeo, but uh, provided some excellent expertise on the on the Liga side that we're, City are coming up against this week. So, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I've really enjoyed it. Um, looking forward to Tuesday now. So, yeah. Uh... Mm. Yeah, hopefully we'll have some more Champions League exploits to discuss in the future. Wets the appetite, it really does. And as always, Adam, anything else to add? Uh, Nope, I'm going to go outside and enjoy this balmy weather, which I think you would probably dissolve if you walked outside in Richmond, (laughs) Virginia right now. Make sure you've got your sun cream on, Adam, because I don't want to be looking at your red rose face later on this week. But uh, yeah. it's now what are we here? Uh, Eleven degrees, so I'll probably probably sleep with the window open tonight and a pair of shorts, and and just hope I don't turn into a puddle overnight. But um, I guess we'll leave it there then. As always, if you can leave a rating and a review, that will be fantastic. Hit follow and subscribe if you are new around here. I've been Amos Murphy. This has been the City Report podcast. See you later.
Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running. And just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.